Hi everybody, welcome to Busy Living Sober, Busy Living Sober, Busy Living Sober. Everybody laughs when I do that, Brogan. We are on episode 148, and I have Brogan here. What's up, Brogan? Good morning, good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm good. Are you good? I think so. You think so? I think so, but you know, it's really none of my business. But today, here you are. Will you tell us a little bit about like what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today? We're just gonna get right into it. We're, we're just gonna, gonna get right into it. We're not even gonna have too much pleasantries because you just told I me thought, you're I good. With, I thought with podcasts, you had to have headsets and a microphone. I mean, this is uh, this is campy. We've got no big bang. Beyond, this is yeah, I don't even know if this is campy to be honest with you. I mean, this is just like some uh, magic school bus type stuff here. I mean, it truly is. Yeah. But if you see how Billy Ellish, what's her name? The one that just won the Grammy, isn't that her name? Billy Ellish. Uh, Billy Eilish. Eilish, yes. But you know that this is. I just watched her on. Just to digress, I watched her on Carpool Karaoke, and she was literally in her little bedroom with her brother, just recording. No bing bangs and whistles either. Justin Bieber got to start the same way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're so, just. So what are you telling me that after I'm done with this, Joe Rogan's going to call me? And you have no idea. His podcast. <laughs> Is that what's going to happen here? Would you be happy about that? Uh, I would be intimidated, but I'm sure there'd be some happiness lingering there. But certainly, uh, yeah, it'd be awesome. I love Joe. I love him. Yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan. Yeah, Dirty Jobs. Yeah. yeah. Well, dirty Jobs? What are you talking about? Isn't he the one that does... No, oh, oh, I know. Oh, he's a new Fear Factor, and now, oh. and now he has his podcast. He's the one that, that commentates all the UFC fights. Very interesting podcasts. My Very kids, my boys actually are huge fans of it, and I have listened to one of his podcasts because of my kids telling me that it would be a good idea. Yeah. But here we go. So we're talking about alcoholism, addiction here today, and I want to, for one, I have to tell everybody because no one can see you, and he's not going to have his picture up, even though he's very good looking. Everyone that's listening, um, he is an athlete. He's young. How old are you? Thirty-one. 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 And when did this journey begin? May first, two thousand and eleven. So how old were you? Because I'm not going to do the math. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Young. Young. And you grew up in Florida. Grew up in the Bahamas, and then moved to Florida uh, for high school, and everything that follows that. So, yeah. So when did you pick up your first drink or drug? Um, I can't give you an age. I can tell you, I was around alcohol my entire life. Obviously, um, I do remember the first drink I ever had. It was a glass of champagne in the back of my uh, cousin's limo on the way to his wedding. <laughs> And um, it was that overwhelming feeling of being equal all of a sudden. I was on par with everyone around me. I wasn't less than. I, uh, it was a good feeling, especially when you're around a, a group of older men who certainly it's intimidating. And like I said, it's, uh, it was a freeing. It was a relief. And uh, yeah, that was the first drink I ever had. But I didn't drink a lot after that, to be quite honest. Uh, I was very resentful against alcohol towards alcohol, I should say, um, just because I grew up around, you know, we grew up in the islands, you're around alcohol abuse all the time, I mean, people party hard, and, you know, um, I just didn't like, uh, I didn't like certain things that had happened in my life, and I blamed them on alcohol, and then you go to high school, and all of a sudden there's this thing called peer pressure, and you know, the reality, the, the, mis, the mis, misleading thing about peer pressure is it has nothing to do with other people, right, it's all within my own head, and I, uh, I picked up in high school, and what's interesting is in, in our, is this, what is this podcast? Like, can I, can I reference yeah. like the, the fellowship? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So like in the, in the, in the secret literature as yeah. we joke, right? 
you know, it talks about, um, talks about like, you know, when we, we drank deliberately, you know, and, and that was certainly my experience. Like I never, I was never a social drinker. Like I deliberately set out to drink and, um, obviously it got progressively worse as time went on. I mean, you know, I went to college and started experimenting with drugs and, you know, started getting arrested and, you know, the, originally the consequences were just sort of emotionally, emotional consequences, waking up feeling shame, embarrassed and uh, guilty, remorseful. And then you get to college and now it's like, so now I'm not only waking up feeling that way, I'm also waking up in a jail cell and, uh, and you know, trying to bond myself out before I get put into general population. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the process, unfortunately, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone really. It's... Yeah. And you were an athlete as well. Um, well, you, you. are. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I did. I played you know, club lacrosse at Florida State. That didn't last very long, though. Um, my priorities sort of shifted once I found solace in drugs and alcohol and women and all that goes along with that college lifestyle. And uh, my junior, my, my freshman year, I made the team. My sophomore year, I didn't. And then my junior year, I went out to, for, uh, for tryouts, and my coach told me I wasn't welcome on the team and I wasn't welcome on his field. So um, That hurts. It did hurt a lot, actually. Uh, may he rest in peace. He's since passed on. But, uh, yeah, that hurts. Um, but that's what they say this disease does. It, take, you know, it takes everything away from you that, uh, that you value, you know, whether it's family, friends you know, material things or, you know, even probably hobbies and interests. It's uh, cunning, baffling, powerful in that respect, certainly. Did you play lacrosse when you were in high school too? I did, two years. I picked up a stick for the first time junior year, you know, really just because I had made buddies in football and they played lacrosse. I'd never even heard of it, to be quite honest with you. And then I picked up a stick junior year and I loved it. You know, it was awesome. So, you know, I was halfway decent, you know, but I, I don't know, I wasn't, I don't know if you want to call it lack of self-confidence, but I wasn't one of those kids that wanted to go and pursue it collegiately. It never really even crossed my mind. I don't know. It's whatever. But here we are. Here we are. Because I do believe that I think that for me, it was like once you got into the partying and, the, you know, the alcohol and the drugs, that became your God. I mean, wasn't that your God for a while? I, I was God. I, I thought I was God. I remember driving down Martin Luther King Boulevard in Tallahassee, Florida one day and having this revelation in my car. I don't know if this was pre or post blunt or whether, <laughs> you know, but I had this this thought come through my mind. It was like, there is there is no God, you know, like I am God. You know, like, uh, and if there was a God, he was an asshole because why would God put me in the situations that I'd been in, you know, DUIs and, you know, fights and all these different things. And, um, you know, so how, how could there be a God, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what else. I mean, it's, it, it's a journey. It's a path. It's, it took, it took me a while to actually come to the realization that I had a problem. You know, I mean, it took me, that was what my first two years of college. And then, you know, I carried on for another two years. You know, I remember my sophomore, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of, uh, of college, I went back to the Bahamas for the summer and I thought like I was going to like mellow out, like kind of like dry out. It's like, weird to say that I was on, wasn't even drinking, of drinking age. I'm going to dry out. I'm going to take it easy. And like, you know, you know, as I, they always talk about the geographic cure in AA and it's like, yeah, no, I took myself with me to the Bahamas. And, like I found myself there in the same form that I had been in college, if not worse. And, um, actually, no, this was the summer between my sophomore and junior year, excuse me. And, um, 
You know, I just basically partied all summer. I found out cocaine was $10 a gram there. I've been paying like $50 a gram in Tallahassee. So I was like, oh, I'm a value shopper now. And I just, I, I went, I totaled my father's truck that summer. I mean, it was, I was a mess. I was a hot mess. And uh, yet I thought that was normal. You know, I thought my life was normal, completely normal. Um, come to find out it wasn't. But uh, the literature also talks about that, you know, his alcoholic life, he thinks the only normal one. So uh, I, I couldn't imagine my life with, with or without, with or without drugs and alcohol, plain and simple. Um, so when I got sober and that idea was pitched to me, it was frightening, really, because my experience was all, I, I, I worshipped that lifestyle, you know, and thinking that it was the only true lifestyle um, to abandon it, to this lifestyle that all these kooks were pitching to me that frankly I didn't know, I didn't want to know, I didn't want anything to do with, it was again uncomfortable. Um, you know, and I, and I just was at that point, however, that I was willing to, to take the chance, but that's just where I was. I mean, some people call it the gift of desperation, I suppose. But um, it's sad when I see people come in that aren't necessarily there yet. I mean, I, but I had lost everything, you know, and that's, granted, I, had, I didn't have much, but I would like the record to show I didn't have much to lose, but uh, my parents wanted nothing to do with me. Mm. I had alienated most of the people that were around me because of the person I had become. You know, I thought I had character. Turns out I was just a character. Um, I didn't, I had $700 to my name and, uh, you know, I really didn't have if I picked up another drink or a drug, I didn't have any place to go. And that fear kept me sober for quite a bit. And um, should also probably put out a disclaimer, I did have a girlfriend when I first got sober, so I also stayed sober for her. And then she broke up with me because I wasn't Jewish. And um, then I had nothing. And that was my jumping off point. That was actually the pain that brought me to my knees to pray to God. Because before then I wasn't praying on my knees. But that pain... I mean, pain's the best motivator in this program, in my yeah. experience. Even as a sober man, I still go through pain. Pain is what reminds me that my life is unmanageable and that I'm powerless. Pain. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's part of the process. But it, in the moment, you know, try telling me that, you know, like in between snot bubbles and Kleenex, you know, it's like, tell me this is part of the process. I'm like, tell you, you know, go fuck yourself. Right. Excuse me, I don't know if this is a family, can, no. family podcast, but... Uh, I really think we need to get you the headphones and the mic. I mean, we, but we I like, really... but I do like that you're. What I really like is that you're authentic right now, and what I really like is that, um, for one, so you were 22. Yeah, I was. I was 22, um, and I remember after I got my first DUI, my uncle, my uncle who was an attorney, called me and he asked me point blank, "Did you think you have a drinking problem?" And my answer was no, flat out no. Um, coincidentally, a year before that. When I, I went out in a blackout one night and told my car, I woke up the next morning. I was on the floor of my bedroom. I pissed my pants. And, you know, because I, I was, whatever, indulging, we'll say. And I remember waking up and looking at the wreckage of that night and thinking, I have, a pro I have a problem with alcohol. And, you know, and obviously there were things that had happened up until that point. That was the thought that I have a problem with alcohol. And yet... You know, um, that night I was back out drinking and drugging again with this like concept of like I'm gonna I'm gonna learn moderation, and um, 
you know, wasn't long before I was kind of back in, uh, back in the jackpot, but it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, then the literature talks about that, you know, um, at least the literature doesn't talk about when I first, one of the definitions of an alcoholic was someone that can stop, but can't stay stopped. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no matter what the motivation is, um, and I tried it, I tried, I, I flushed drugs and alcohol, I flushed drugs down the toilet, you know, I made sure to get good and high before I did it, <laughs> but I flushed drugs down the toilet when I went to bed being like, I'm not going to get high tomorrow. And lo and behold, all day, like I'm sitting there battling with this obsessive thought of getting high. And then by five o'clock, like I give in, I give in. And, you know, I'm walking over to my drug dealer's house to get, you know, get loaded. And, um, you know, I had no defense against that first drink. You know, and, and the literature tells me that in the program tells me that the only defense that I have is, is from comes from God today. Um, again, had to learn that through pain. Uh, went back to college with the year sober. And before I leave, my sponsor just looks at me in his backyard and he goes, you know, there's going to come a moment where the only thing between you and a drink is going to be God. And, you know, you, you, you hear, I heard all these things when I first got sober and, and you hear them. And I think, wow, like that's, that's, that sounds novel. Like that's really like powerful. Like, God, I can't wait to share that in a mixed meeting, right? So, or, and then down the road, all of a sudden, like you experience something, you're like, wow, like that is what they meant. So I went back to college. I was, I was a year sober. I was 22, 23, and I was insecure. I was insecure about the fact that I was a sober man as a college student in a, in a college town. And I thought, well, let me just put one foot in AA and let me put one foot in my old life and like, I'll, it'll be great. Like I'll get the best of both worlds. Mm. So I started working security again at nightclubs, started bar backing and all of a sudden one night, like it just, it, there was that overwhelming sense of just conviviality and I was overwhelmed by it behind the bar and I saw it all happen and it frightened me. And at that, by that point, my sponsor already told me, too, that I needed to quit the job because if I didn't, I was going to drink. And the words that my sponsor had told me, if you don't, you know, the only thing that's going to come between you and a drink at some point is God. So I just kept praying all night. The next day, I quit the job. But again, it's putting myself in those situations to experience that pain that motivated me to grow. Um, you know, and, and I share that story nowadays because it's, it's just thankfully for, for whatever reason you know I, I made it out that night there, there's some people that don't you know and um, and I and I do attribute a huge part of my foundation to the experience that I had living in a halfway house that had structure you know I lived there for a year even though I didn't want to you know with six other guys they made me go to meetings they made me work the steps with a sponsor you know and and you know, that we talk about this foundation, right? Like, what does your foundation look like? Because if you, if you don't, and the book says, if you don't, if you, if do we skimp on the mortar, if you don't build a strong foundation, the house that you build on top of it will not withstand the storms that life brings. And that, that like, that is what this is all about today. It's life. Like life ebbs and flows. Life has, has unbelievable high speed winds that come at me without any warning. And if my house is not built soundly, and if my foundation is not strong, like I run the risk of collapsing. And, mm-hmm. and that is something that I try and certainly 
you know, constantly remembering, constantly work to maintain that foundation and so that the house that I built above, I mean, because I guess the house is the analogy of life, right? Like, it's all the shit we get now that we get sober. Like, all right, so I got sober. So I got a job. Then I got a degree. Then I got my driver's license back. So that means I have a car. Then I get, you know, I, I move out. I start moving. I move in with my parents for like, you know, uh, blurt this out when you put it on there, but I lived with them for like six years when I got out of college, right? Six years, six years, okay? Just moved out, by the way, in case any people are listening to this and they're curious. But, you know, now I have, I have property. You know, like I have all this, this is, this is like the, the, the house of life. But if my foundation is flawed, it's all gone. And that, that's what everyone says is like, you know, AA must come first, like the program must come first. My relationship with God must come first. Otherwise, I, lo- I lose it all. I lose mm. it all. So, like, what, what, what the fuck am I doing today to, to maintain that foundation? You know, and that, that's the question. I pose that question. I don't know. You know. I guess it's rhetorical here because we're here. Well, it's, you know, you're a rock star because I'm sure, you Thank know, people you. listen all over the, the world, actually. And um, when they hear that you're 31, you got sober at 22, you're still doing it. And a lot of people go, I'm 22. I don't even know, you know, am I really an alcoholic? Oh, I don't want to go to those lengths. It's too hard. It's too hard. I, you know, I might've grown out of it. I'm young, I'm young, I'm young. And so the person that's listening out there, if it's a parent, if it's a loved one, if it's the actual 22 year old that's actually decided, you know what, I'm going to go listen to this podcast today. What's your one thing that you would say to the 22 year old that's listening today, the, to your 22 year old self that was probably really scared that you were giving up, at least for me, it was my best friend. So what would you say to them? Um, I would tell you the first thing is uh, if, you, if you, you have to admit that you're powerless on your own accord, nobody can tell you that. Um, you know, I, I certainly ask people for, for their opinions of me and... Um, you know, powerlessness is something that I had to admit on my own. And it's interesting. It's, you know, the first step. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Their lives would become unmanageable. Like, it's taken me nine years to find a definition for unmanageability that I really like, that I related to, or that I understood. And, and I actually just heard it recently from my sponsor, of all people. And he said, unmanageability, are, are just, is, is, they're just the things that bring us pain because those are the things that bring us to our knees because those are the things that give us clarity and make us want something different for ourselves and for our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's that unmanageability, he said, that helps us to admit that we're powerless. If, if we aren't able to admit that we're powerless, then our life isn't unmanageable enough, which means that all of these words that we're saying right now are probably falling upon deaf ears. You know? and, and I know that I certainly wasn't ready to hear a message of, of experience, strength, and hope from anybody when, when I wasn't able or willing to take a look at myself and admit that I was powerless. You know, and that's why there also is the step before the step, which is in the book, it says we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. And, you know, for me, that came with, you know, we have all the definitions, a heavy drinker, blah, 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 whatever. I had a, a case manager said, an alcoholic is someone who continues to drink despite harmful consequences. Mm. And that was my light bulb. That was my aha moment. That was the definition that I related to. Because I couldn't relate to the guy with the cardboard sign asking for money on the side of the street, Right. But I could relate to somebody who continued to drink despite harmful consequences because I had already had DUI number one and I was on probation for DUI number one when I got DUI number two. And, you know, it was, it brought me back to laying in the emergency room with a broken back. Four other people had been in the car with me and, you know, cunning, baffling, powerful. How did I end up here again? Even though I told myself I would never put myself in this situation. 
And that was, again, the moment where I said, I, I may be an alcoholic. And, you know, you go through, you know, the treatment's a great thing, really. It, it educated me about the disease of addiction because alcoholism is, in my opinion, just a form of addiction, right? It's, well, listen, it's, dude, it's whatever, man. It's whatever makes me feel, fill that hole in my soul, like it, all that stuff, right? So, but I learned it's progressive in nature. It's, it's chronic. It's fatal. It's, you know, they said it was genetic, but guess, you know, guess what? I'm the only person in my family that's in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like nobody in my family is sober. Um, but... Um, you know, I learned a lot and through learning that I was, and for whatever reason was willing to take an honest look at myself, I, you know, I, I was able to draw, identify as they say, right? Cause when I first got in there, I, I didn't want to identify. I was looking for every reason to like, say like, I'm not like these people, you know, I'm in a room with people that have smoked crack, shot heroin and done all this other stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not that bad. I don't belong there, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and yet lo and behold, like if, if. If you look, if I look for the similarities long enough, I found them, you know, and, and really what it all comes down to is I, I suffer from that obsession, you know, because it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter what the substance is. I mean, even as a sober man, it could be peanut butter, it could be pornography, video games, the gym, money, women, it, it you know, just, just basically fill in the blank. It's, it's about, it's about the rush or the experience that it gives me when I take it in. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh. 22 years old, man. If you can't, if you aren't able to admit that you're an alcoholic, the books, it's funny because at the meeting we were just at, somebody said, well, you know, we don't promote drinking here. And my thought was, yes, we do. Like our literature actually says, if you aren't convinced that you're an alcoholic, we suggest you step over to the nearest bar and try some controlled drinking, bearing in mind what we said. It may be worth a good case of the jitters. We do promote drinking. <laughs> I mean, that, that's my understanding of it. You know, like, granted, I'm not an attorney. I'm not going to get... That's my interpretation of what it says. We do promote drinking to, to, if you want to learn the truth about yourself. So, you know, if, uh, if you're 22 and you've had some consequences and a little bit of unmanageability in your life, and you, but you still don't think you're an alcoholic, that's cool. That's cool, you know. Um, yeah, it just it takes what it takes. I don't know what it takes for some people. You're a warrior. Thank you, I guess. Thank you. Yeah, you really are. Because most people that are 22 let their head say to them and their, you know, peers, their friends go, oh, you know what? You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Or I'm too scared and I'm not going to do this and manipulate their way out of it, which a lot of people do. They manipulate their way. They get their parents out of it. I don't need to do this. I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't need the help. And your parents were pretty like awesome to take you there and like say, all right, this is what you need. Yeah, the state of Florida actually took me there and <laughs> said, this is what you need. I just, you know, I got to show, you know, uh, I guess appreciation where it was. And, and I'm thankful for that too, because, you know, it's, you know, people, we talk about like God and like, you know, messengers of God and angels and whatnot. I had an attorney that, you know, I was doing, I was doing jail time. I mean, I did jail time and there was no way, like no matter how much money you threw at the situation, it was not going to go away. And, you know, I remember saying, thinking at one point, like, I don't want to go to treatment. I'd rather just do jail time. Because mm -hmm. at one point, my, my, my attorney was like, I'm going to try and just get you all treatment. You're not going to do jail time. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then it was like, yeah, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to do all jail time. And he had asked me at one point to write a letter about like what I'd been doing since I got to college, which really would have, would have almost been akin to like a, a, a pseudo fourth step. And I gave it to him. 
And I remember when I went into his office and I told him, I just want to do jail time. He looked at me and he was on the phone. He looked up at me and he goes, I'm going to get you as much time and treatment as I can get you. And I, I'm thankful. At the moment, I was like, fuck you. But in the, today, I, I look back and I'm very thankful for that man because he was looking out for me when I didn't have the ability to look out for myself. You know, and if it wasn't for, you know, that the, the, that journey that I had going to jail and going to treatment, I don't know that I'd be sitting here having this conversation with you today because I might not have had the opportunity to take a look in the mirror, you know, and, um, you know, I was court ordered to 30 days. I ended up standing like over three months there, you know, so it's, it is uncomfortable, but what are we going to do? But you're a miracle because most people don't even get a day. And especially with those circumstances that you just went through. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. You're a gift. You're totally a gift. And you went and you lived in treatment. So you went to treatment for three months. Then you came out and you lived in halfway for a year. So now you're 15 months in now. Or am I correct there? Uh, yeah, about like 12, 13 months in. Because I, I, I picked up my medallion, my one-year medallion down here. And I, remember I was obviously going back to college. And um, I remember, you know... I, I applied to transfer locally, and then, you know, I went back to, uh, you know, I, I'd been at Florida State, and I was, I was afraid to go back to, like, to the devil's den, right, to the place where I, I ripped and run, and, you know, temptation certainly is, uh, is everywhere, and uh, Florida State took me back almost immediately, right, you know, they were like, I had to reapply because I'd been out for so long, but they took me back almost immediately, um, and then I'd applied to another local college and like they never got all my documents. So I just, and, and the best advice anybody gave me was a guy that since passed away, he actually turned out to be my grand sponsor. But, um, you know, when I was weighing my options, like, do I transfer, do I go back? Do I transfer, do I go back? And I, and I asked him one day and he's like, and, and, and he gave me this, this tool of measurement that I still use to this day. He looked at me and he said, would you, is this something you think you might regret down the road if you did not go back? And I was like, absolutely, absolutely, unequivocally. And he's like, then there's your answer, you know, because the whole point of today is, is not having the regrets and being able to say, like, you know what, like, I may not got, I may have not got the outcome I wanted, but I did what I believe to be true myself. And, um, and, I, and so I went back and I, I remember calling intergroup up there because I was like trying to link up with people. And this woman, I, I was, I was crying on the phone because I was scared and she's like son you need to have more faith in God more faith in yourself and it was like you know those were powerful words you know and I went up there loaded my trailblazer I went up there and uh, remember my first night there I looked out the window and that loneliness crept in you know because all of a sudden like you get sober in Delray Beach it's like a little nest of recovery right you have all your meetings your little cliques of people like awesome you go up to back to Tallahassee and it's like you, you're just a fucking excuse me you're just you're just you're just another guy you're a citizen and um you know, at that moment, it was like, do I go get drunk or do I go to a meeting? And thankfully, I went to a meeting and uh, I started chairing meetings. You know, I service work kept me sober for when I first got up there, but it also helped me meet people. I got pl pl plugged in with a group of guys, you know, and, and, I, and I graduated. I was up there for maybe eight months, nine months, graduated. And then the sponsor that I had told me, you need to get out of this town, you know, because I was just sticking around there afterwards, looking for work, whatever. He's like, you need, you need to leave. You need to get out of here. He's like, even though you don't want to, you need to go back and move in with your parents. So I did that. And it's, um, 
It's been a journey. That's all I can say. Now, did Florida State have any collegiate recovery? Because I know... Not that I know of, but I, I do think back and I wonder, you know, if I may have missed something. I mean, you know, it's one of the top party schools in the country. I would think that there's <laughs> there's got to be something there. But I, I, I went to meetings, you know, outside the school. Okay. Um, but, you know, I look back and it's like, you know, wow, I, I wonder if... Um, I wonder if it did, you know, because if it did, I, I didn't know anything about it. But I also never inquired either, so. Because I know the College of Charleston, the guy who's in, who's Wood Marchant, he's like in charge of the thing, Wood, I'm giving you a call out today. And he's at the College of Charleston, and they've got a recovery thing going on at the College of Charleston. It's awesome. You know, kids go, and they show up, and they meet a safe place on campus. So you didn't have that, and, but you made it. You did it, and you're still sober today, and you're giving back, and now today you're out of your parents' house, you have your own house, you're redoing it. If You should see a smile on his face right now. I wish he would let me record it, but he won't, his picture. But um, he's got a huge smile on his face because he's doing it, and he's got this life. And would you say your life is beyond your wildest dreams today? It is, but I, you know, the crazy thing is you don't, you don't always see it that way, right? You know, because it's like uh, sometimes you look at the glass as half empty as opposed to half full, right? Um, you know, the challenge is being thankful for what you have as opposed to being disgruntled with what you don't have and because you think that those things will bring you happiness. So, um, yeah, my life is certainly not what I thought it would be nine years ago, you know, and it's much better than it was nine years ago. And, um, you know, I think the only thing that changed is I have, a, I have a relationship with God, and I've also found a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the program certainly is what, is what introduced me to God, but the fellowship is, is definitely integral in the life that I have today. You know, the men and women, men and women, but mostly men. I mean, let's just face it, like, it's men with the men, women with the women. Like, don't get it twisted. Um, you know, I, yeah. But... The men certainly have been instrumental in me becoming the person I am today. You know, uh, you know, it's uncomfortable at times of living life by principle. It is uncomfortable for me um, because I don't necessarily get the outcome that I want. Right? Mm-hmm. And you think, uh, well, if, if I if I only was willing to bend the line a little bit, like maybe I'd get that deal to go through, or I'd get the girl, and. Uh, you know, because I still have that those thoughts that you know maybe those things will bring me happiness in the moment when I'm missing it, and and I'll be quite honest, like I've I've looked for happiness in a lot of different places. Okay, I've jumped out of planes looking for happiness. I've climbed mountains looking for happiness. I've dove to the bottom of the ocean looking for happiness. I've tried it, it, name, name it, dude. Fill it in. I did it. I've done it, and and I I found happiness. Don't get me wrong. Like I found <laughs> happiness in all those places. But it's fleeting. Yeah. Like it, it exists and then it doesn't. And when it's gone, I'm back to where I was. I'm back to square one. And it's painful. And what happens from that pain is it pushes me back to God. And like it's, it reminds me that God is that, that, that infinite source of happiness, power, wisdom, all love, all that stuff. The insane thing is, it's like I, I, I could constantly do this. I just, all right, like, I'm going to go try this. I'm going to go try that. And like, come right back to God, my head down, my tail between my legs. Like, hey, it's me again. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't need to t- I know you know everything, so I don't need to tell you what happened. But uh, I'm going to stick around for a while, you know? I mean, so, yeah. It's, but it's all, it's all part of the process, you know? And, um you know, nobody's ever told me I'm, I'm a bad person for, for, 
for traveling or, or having these experiences since I got sober. You know, nobody's ever been like, you know, you're you're an idiot, you're an asshole. No, no one's ever said that. Like everyone's just kind of been like, you know, like how'd that work out for you? You know, because you know, I was told when alcoholics and us, we don't shoot our wounded. You know, and, and they're you know, one shot, we're all shot. We got no big shots, we got no little shots. One shot, we're all shot. And um, yeah, my, <laughs> uh, yeah, my sp- my sponsor's got a sense of humor. He just always look at me and be like, yeah, how'd that work out for you? Even after I did something, he told me not to do. You know, he never uh, he never told me he wouldn't talk to me again. He never was like, you know, you're fired. And I don't understand that concept when people are like, I fired, fired a sponsee. It's like they asked you. To sponsor them, you know, like how do you fire them in that case? It's like an employee firing their boss. It's like it doesn't. Sorry, son, it doesn't work that way. You know, like I'm, I'm just flattered that somebody was willing to. You know, they keep me sober. You know, I, I will say this: get a sponsor. If anyone like sponsees, my, my most recent experience, like no matter how shitty I think my life is, and it's not. But how, how, in that moment, get a sponsee. All of a sudden, it brings it full circle. Mm-hmm. And it's like fuck. Like I've got it. Um, like I, my life is beyond my wildest dreams when you look at it relative to a guy that's got like 13 days mm. and is like still trying to find that courage to actually go day by day without picking up a drink or a drug like my life is is, is like is for, to that so to your question like is your life beyond yes yes but I need to see those things and have those experiences to be reminded of it you know like I need to go I need to go pick up a guy in Delray who's shooting heroin in his arms, smoking crack, to, for for me to realize like I've come a long way from that. Like, and you know, it's um, like that's that's the stuff that brings me back. It's easy like talk about keeping it green, you know, or like you know, giving you know, doing service because it it, it brings me back. Cause I forget, I forget. Man in my home group always would say, a man who forgets his past is condemned to repeat it. Mm. I hope I never forget. Oh, I love that. I hope I never forget. Yeah. Because I don't want to repeat where I've been. I don't. And and from what I've been told, it just gets worse. You know, so I I really hope I never forget. And it's, it's, ironically, it's the service work that helps me remember it most. And, you know, we were told that service work is essential, essentially, to to staying sober. Um, But selfish and self-centered, I'm not always the guy that wants to do that, right? You know, um, even though like my alternative would might just be like sitting on my couch and like watching Netflix. It's like fuck. You want me to go speak where? Right? Like sure. And then like after it's done, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. You know. But like when you ask me first, it's like, oh, like I was gonna, you know, I was gonna go to the gym. I was gonna go buy stuff I don't need. You know. Afterwards, so thankful. Well, I'm thankful that you said yes to me today, because I didn't know. You can't say no. You can't. How do you say no to serve? I mean, this. I guess this is service. I guess I don't know. I mean, this is. You know, we live in like a new new age. This isn't part of like your traditions and all that. Like, but um, yeah, you can't say no to service. That's what I was taught, and it's uncomfortable. But you can't say no. You can't say no. You know, life is what happens as you're making other plans. So even though like I had a plan, I was gonna go home, I was gonna have another cup of coffee, I was gonna have some breakfast, you know, you know, uh, try and you know be a control freak for these guys that are doing my termite treatment right now. Uh, you know, you approach me and it's like you you can't you can't say no um, because nobody ever told me no, right? Nobody told me no when I asked them for help. You know, picking up the phone and calling strangers. Nobody ever told me no when I asked them for you know their experience, strength, and hope. So, 
I gotta do I gotta do that for the next guy. You know, when people say, you know, thank you very much, it's like no no I don't want I don't want your thanks. I just do it for the next guy. Because that's what we're taught here. You just carry the message and do it for the next guy. You know, um, yeah, that's that's it. All I got really. Well, it's been awesome. Thank you. Is it 30 minutes already? It is. It's been 30 minutes, and it's been amazing. But I have to tell you, Ellen, thanks for writing me this week. Because Ellen pointed out, she's like, you're the only podcast out there that doesn't promote. I'm not promoting any treatment centers. I'm not promoting any special books. I'm not promoting any special anything. All I'm telling you is that, you know, I got a buck a day that I put in, and, uh, and I get this magical life that we have. And you talked about happiness, and happiness being in the moment. It's like, we're, that's the only place I'm really happy is in the present moment. Like, it can't be in five minutes, and it can't be, like, five minutes behind me. It's got to be right here, right now. And I am so happy. If you could see his face and the big smile and the big grin on his face, please not let me show you. He's going to have an orangutan. So he, that's what he wants on his phone. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Well, what is that? Read some of the reasons if you're afraid. If you're afraid to look forward and ashamed to look behind you look beside you and i'll be there and it was like god you know yeah. it's it is it is god um you know and i'll and i'll end with this i i god is uh listen he's essential to this program okay like if i'm sorry like if you've gone through this whole thing and like you thought you were going to be able to avoid that as i did I, i'm you know i hate to disappoint you and um I was in jail and I was getting rolled up before I got out. And I remember telling a couple of these guys in there that I didn't want to drink and drug when I got out. And they laughed at me. And then the night I got out, there was this older guy there who always had his nose in the Bible. When everybody else was like playing spades or watching TV or reading or whatever, working out, this guy always had his nose in the Bible. And when I went to get out, he came up to me and he said, if you truly don't want to drink or drug again, you can if you find God. And lo and behold, didn't, didn't have any impact on me whatsoever in the moment. But as I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and obviously found and was is told that, you know, the solution to this was God, all of a sudden again, you know, those things that I had heard before that didn't necessarily apply, I found the application. And, um, and, you know, I, I still hold deep to that moment because the, the, the solution that I found today is God, you know, and I continue to look to God for the solution. Um, you know, and that's just been my experience. So find God, seek God, clean house, help others. You know, he's there. He's always been there. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, acknowledging that. It's been my experience. That's your ego getting out of the way. I, well, I'll take your word for it. It sounds like it, at I'll least. I'll take your word for well, it. Well, I want to say this. Thank you again. And now if somebody's out there and wants to reach out to you, I'm going to tell you, you can reach out to me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com. That's B-U-S-Y. And if you want it sent to Brogan, I don't know if he's letting me put his email. So just send it to me. He wants to stay a little anonymous. So send it to me, and I will definitely forward it to him. And he will hopefully respond if you're out there and you're feeling like you relate to him and you would love to pick his brain or ask him a question or just say thank you. I will promise you that I will forward it to him. And um, again, thank you. I really, really, really appreciate it. And until next week, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.